the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is a letter to the exiles. And if you jump down to verse 4, you start to get to the content of that letter. Verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. We started this series a couple weeks ago thinking about hearing loss and how hearing loss can sometimes kind of sneak up on us. We lose it gradually and we don't even really notice it sometimes until all of a sudden we recognize we've got an impairment and a lot of spouses are nodding right now. So you're familiar with how that works. Of course, we're not just talking about the, the physical loss of hearing. We're talking about something else. We're talking about hearing God. And do we have a tendency to have impairment when it comes to listening to God? And does that impairment sneak up on us so that we are unable to hear God and maybe we don't even notice that we can't hear Him? That's what we're trying to explore in this series. And today I want to try to inspire hope in all of us by exploring kind of a way that Jeremiah heard God. And it was a really remarkable revelation that Jeremiah heard in this particular passage and how that revelation formed Jeremiah and how it formed the people that God uh, wanted to talk to. And uh, to inspire you with this good news, God has been speaking to people throughout all generations and they've heard him. And we think that what God has done in the past, God continues to do today. So God is still speaking to us today. So I'm convinced that even in this kind of uh, high volume world, a world with lots of noise and lots of distractions, a lot of things that might impair our ability to hear God, I think it's possible for us not only to hear God, but to have a lot of things in our life trigger that voice so that we can actually hear it very well. And to kind of make my case to you, I want to start with kind of a little illustration. I'd like you to see if you've got any of these um, kind of, uh, if you've heard any of these things before. If you have, I'd like you to finish the line. I'll start the line, you finish it. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. You guys are so good. The best part of waking up is? Okay, and apparently that one has been a very effective little slogan since 1908. Did you realize that? They've been using that slogan for generations. Like a good neighbor? Okay, here's one of the, what is reported to be one of the most effective advertising campaigns ever done. We'll see if it worked on you. Two all-beef patties, special sauce. And, you know, you, we remember that when it came out and they actually had these little contests to see how fast you could say that. And what they were actually doing was drilling this thing into our head. So I've got a couple more little jingles I want to actually show you here. This is a classic from the 70s. Go ahead and hit this first uh, little jingle. I drink Dr. Pepper and I'm proud. Go ahead and sing along if you want. I'm part of an original crowd. And if you look around these days, there seems to be a Dr. Pepper craze. And I'm 
pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. If you drink Dr. Pepper, you're a pepper too. Be a pepper, drink Dr. Pepper. You gotta like the tune, and you gotta like the clothing, right? So that takes me back to my actual junior high days when that thing came out, and that commercial was actually formative on me, because I remember as a junior high kid, you know, walking around singing that, and I made a decision, I made a commitment, as a junior high kid, I'm a pepper, <laughs> and I am still to this day a pepper. Now I had to switch to diet, Dr. Pepper, but I'm still a pepper. Got one more little clip here to show you just how uh, simple a message can be if you want to get it across well. Go ahead and show this next one. Meow Mix comes in two varieties, original and seafood Okay, meals, a medley of up until the part where they show the actual product, how many words are actually in that commercial? Tastes so good, cats one. For it by name. All you need is a singing cat, I guess, that can sing one word and you got yourself a, a commercial hit, a sensation. Now here's the scary part about some of this. These things are taking up permanent residence in your head. So that as soon as we like show you even just a little blip of this, you can tune right back into the whole message, right? So they've done a really good job of discipling you. What they've done is they've formed you so that you trigger this stuff really simple. So I had a question while I was watching these commercials. Uh, what if we could hear God's voice like that? And what if God's truth became such an ingrained thing in taking up real estate in our minds that we could trigger it in just a moment? that you would be able to access some really important or significant or deep truth about God and whether that truth would shape you and form you as a disciple. I think when we look at the topic of looking, uh, listening to God, this is my hope, that we can listen to God so well that um, His truths are ingrained in our minds and we can trigger them so easy. So we started this whole journey on week one by talking about this commitment to say we are going to listen and we recognize that there's lots of distraction, there's lots of noise. We live in a world that's filled with clutter and this can kind of keep us from hearing. But we turn to one key truth that first week to remind us that we need to listen to God. And what we heard was this, God is in charge. We, we like to think that we might be in charge. We're sometimes tempted to go down that pathway. But the absolute fundamental truth is this. God is in charge, not us. And so we want to listen to what God has to say because God is calling us. And then last week we heard that no matter how much trouble we're in, help is on the way. Right? It's just a call away. And we learned God's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3, which Christian mentioned. I think we've got to put that up on the screen for us. Jeremiah 33, 3, God's phone number. Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And we're hoping that throughout this series we can get this number ingrained in our head, Jeremiah 33, 3. So I'd like to invite you to just say it with me here quick. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things which you do not know. This is the truth. Help is on the way. It's as simple as calling out, just like 911. So we know that God is in control. We know that help is on the way. And today, we want to discover a little bit about what 
God is up to in bringing us this help. Now, I have a feeling these days that the world is especially crazy. And I have a hunch that I don't even really need to elaborate on that because you all know. Uh, We know it in some very big general broad ways, and we could probably go down each row and talk to each of you individually and find ways that the world is crazy for you right now. We live in an especially crazy world. And I'm wondering what God has to say about that. And I think there's at least three things God wants to say. I think God wants to say he is in charge. And I think he wants to say to us, help is on the way. And I think he wants to say to us, I'm already working on it. God's already working. Even before we're aware of that work, he's already working on bringing that help. And I think that's what comes out from Jeremiah in this passage in chapter 29 today. Jeremiah is passing a word along to the people of God, and what he really is unveiling in these few verses is this idea that God is already busy at work long before they recognize it, before they even realize what God was doing. And he's actually working in some remarkable ways, and that's what I want to look at with you. The first remarkable kind of understanding that comes from this is that God's work is already in progress right where the people are at. Now, if you read the details of this little letter that Jeremiah writes in the first three verses, you get this kind of picture of a people who are in trouble because these people have been plucked up from their homes. They've been forcibly marched out of their homeland to a foreign country where they are now exiles in a foreign land. They're refugees. Do you know what it is that a refugee really wants? More, more than anything else, you know what a refugee wants? A refugee wants to go home. But they can't because they're being forced to stay in Babylon. And this is the word that Jeremiah brings to them in this refugee camp. And as it happens that about the same time Jeremiah brings his message, there's a bunch of other false prophets who are going around to the people and they're building on this idea that these refugees are anxious to get out of Babylon and ready to go home. So these false prophets have come to the people and they've said, hey, you know what? Don't unpack your bags. Don't settle down here. Don't get comfortable because you know what? God is going to take us back to Jerusalem. He's going to take us home. So don't worry because this is a very quick thing that's going to happen and you're going to get back to where you belong. This is what the false prophets were saying. And then Jeremiah had to come because he had this calling from God, and he came with this message. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all you who have been carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there and do not decrease. In other words, what Jeremiah is telling these people who are living as refugees, he's saying, hunker down. You're going to be here a while. God's not going to take you back to Jerusalem anytime soon. And the people, I'm sure their response was something like, you've got to be kidding me. We want to go home. And we're hearing these other people say, we shouldn't stay here. We should be ready because we're going to go home soon. They wanted to believe the false prophets because they missed the promised land. They missed their homes. 
They miss going to the temple. They miss some of their family members who were left behind. It was hard for them in Babylon. It was hard for them to keep the faith. It was hard for them to see God at work. It was hard for them to keep trusting that God was still with them because life was so difficult. They did not think that God was working there. Their mindset was this. God is not working in Babylon. God is working over there at home. And so we want to get back to where God is working. We want to get back to our homes. We don't want to be here any longer. And the question I think that was behind a lot of this was the question, how can God work here? This is such a bad place to be. And when I asked that question, I recognized that's a question I've asked. Sometimes it feels like the darkness is so oppressive. It seems like the world is so messy. It seems like there's so much trouble. I asked the question, how can God work here? God has to rescue us from this trouble. He has to take us from this exile, take us from this barren place, and bring us home. He's got to take us to a better place because if he doesn't take us to a better place, there's no way God can work in this mess. Ever been there? Feel down in the dumps and sorry for yourself and think you're living in exile and wonder, where's God? And can God work in this mess, in the middle of this darkness? And then when that happens to us, we might think that we've got nothing much to do here in this place until God rescues us. We'll just wait with our bags packed because we know God will get us out of this place really soon. And then someone like Jeremiah comes along and says, hey, plant a garden, get married, have children, put down some roots, Settle in. You're going to be there a while. What Jeremiah is encouraging these people to do is he's saying, keep living right where you're at and remain faithful right where you're at. Make the best of it. Serve me right where you're at. Because the message behind that is this. God is saying, I'm already working and I'm already working right there. This is a remarkable revelation to people who don't see God at work. I used to think that God's call always had to be something huge, some big revolutionary thing, some go to some extraordinary place, go to some special place, some blessed place. You go to this place when God calls you and then you accomplish some amazing thing. I always thought that was God's call and how he did it. I'm seeing through Jeremiah that God's call might be right in front of me. And it might involve simple things like being a good husband and being a good father and being a good friend, being a hard worker. His call might involve things like just being honest and being kind and being faithful, being a good neighbor, planting seeds and pulling weeds. 
even in dark places. Jeremiah's tune is this. God is already working right where you're at. So be faithful, even if that can be a very hard place to be. That's a pretty remarkable thing coming from Jeremiah, but I don't think it's the most remarkable thing in this passage. The next thing that comes out in the, in verse four, at the end of these verses is what Jeremiah says about what that um, living should involve. Jump down to verse 4. Seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its peace you will find your peace. A couple of different translations on this. The Good News Bible puts this verse this way. Work for the good of the city where you live. Pray on their behalf. And the Message Bible says, Make yourselves at home here and work for the community's welfare. Pray for their well-being. That's a remarkable prayer. And this would have been a brand new way for these people to think. They were not used to thinking about their city and the welfare of the city, especially this foreign city, because these were people who were raised with this kind of mindset. Their mindset would have been this. You are God's chosen people. You are God's special blessing to this world. And above all people on the earth, you are a people who are blessed, and God's blessing has come upon you. And for that reason, these people had often, they had a history of just remaining separate from the world, be distinguished and distinct, and just live out this blessing, this special blessing that God has given to you. This would have been their normal mindset. And now God is saying to them, you know what? I love those people too. These people who are your neighbors. These people who are your enemies. These people who dragged you into exile. I love them too. And so what I want you to do is I want you to settle down right here, and I want you to pray and work for the peace of these people, for the peace of this city. And if this becomes even more remarkable when we come to an understanding how they use these terminologies. We use the word peace usually to mean something like the end of hostilities, like I'm just not going to be in, in, in battle with you, I'm going to be at, at peace. But peace for them was a whole different thing. It's the word shalom, and maybe you've heard that word before. And shalom has this concept. The idea of shalom is this, that God wants to restore everything that is broken. And not until all that is wrong has been set right will you actually experience shalom. And the word that the prophet's using right here is that word shalom. He says, I want you to go into the city and I want you to work and pray so that everything that is wrong in this community will be set right. I want you to work for justice and righteousness. I want you to work to fix everything that's broken. And I want you to pray that I will come and fix everything that's wrong in this world. I want you to pray that everything that is dark and threatening to these people in this city will be pushed back so that the light of God will shine and peace will come. That's shalom. And these people had never prayed that way before. This is a remarkable invitation that Jeremiah has given to them. He says, your call is this, to go pray for the peace of these people. Pray for their shalom. Some of us went to a leadership conference a week ago, and uh, it's called the Leadership Summit, Global Leadership Summit, and just a bunch of remarkable speakers. One of them that touched me the most was a speaker who actually talked about shalom and used the pa a passage in Judges chapter 6 to illustrate part of her point. And in this message that she gave, she was talking about Gideon, 
who, if you read Judges chapter 6, had just received a call from God. And God's call came to Gideon, and Gideon, like many people, was reluctant. He's like, I'm not sure I'm the right guy, so he asked God for some tests. Will you verify that this is you, God, talking to me, and verify that it's me that you want to call? And so after this series of tests, Gideon finally gets it, and he recognizes this call from God. And this is what Gideon does, Judges 6, verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And the word there is shalom. So what Gideon recognized in this call from God was that at the very core, at the very nature of God, is this desire to bring shalom to the whole world. That's part of what God wants more than anything, to set right everything that's wrong, to fix everything that's broken. And then the very next thing that Gideon does after that verse is he starts a war with the Midianites who had invaded. So if you think that peace just has to do with like ending hostilities, then we haven't got the right understanding. This verse doesn't even make sense then. But if you understand that peace means that the God of justice, the God of righteousness, the God of all that is good, the God of light desires to shine his light into this world and push darkness back to the very edges until everything is set right then you've understood what shalom is. And this is God's calling to Gideon. It's God's calling to Jeremiah. It's God's calling to these people that Jeremiah is talking to. And it's interesting, if you study this, this is God's calling to God's people throughout all of history. God wants us to bring peace into the world, to set right everything that is wrong. This is part of God's calling for us. And this is just an amazing thing when I think about the situation that these people have been called into. They've been conquered. They've been humiliated. They've been deported. They're living in a foreign land. They're longing to go home. And then Jeremiah comes and says, hey, settle down here. And while you're settling in in that place, this is what I want you to do. Make their world better. Work for their welfare. Bring peace. Bring shalom into this city. That's a remarkable revelation. I'm not sure that's the most remarkable revelation in this passage, though. One of the things that seems even more remarkable to me is how God does that. And the way God does that is he uses people to bring peace, to bring shalom. Now, I'm noticing today that a lot of you are having exceptionally more difficulty in focusing on my words today because you're all admiring my shirt. (laughs) So I thought I should explain. My wonderful wife, Mary, made this for me. And um, I'm thinking as I'm looking at this shirt, um, when you think about darkness and light, do you think about little tiny spots of light in a world that's mostly dark and that those spots of light are in danger, that the darkness is invading, that the darkness is threatening to overcome the light. Or when you see little spots of light in darkness, do you think that the light is expanding out and that the light is going to conquer the darkness? Which way do you see it? Throughout my life, I have often been on the side that sees 
dark, threatening the light. And that if we're not careful, we've got to hunker down because the darkness is going to threaten to overtake us. But God is beginning to mess up my thinking in this regard. And I'm seeing more and more that any time there's a piece of light, no matter how small that light is, the darkness is in danger. Because that light, no matter how small, can push back the darkness. And we actually have this beautiful promise in John chapter 1, which says, the darkness cannot defeat the light. It's the light that wins. So that no matter how small that light can be shining into the dark world, the light wins every time. And the Bible also makes it clear who shines light into this dark world. We do. We reflect God's light. This is how the Bible talks about it. And you can't hide a light like that under a bushel, but you put a light like that up on a lampstand, and that light shines out to the whole world. This is a remarkable revelation that Jeremiah is giving to these people. He says, you are the lights that are going to go shine in Babylon. And by your shining, you're going to bring peace. We think every one of us is a light. And I know that some of us live in really dark places. And I'm starting to imagine more and more what it would look like if our light was shining in that dark place. What will happen? The darkness cannot withstand it. The darkness, I've been imagining more and more that the picture is that the darkness is actually afraid of the light. The darkness is trembling with even a small point of light shining out. So we try to inspire all of you people to this action when we do these series. And so in the bulletin, there's this little handout that has some like listening to God suggestions, like practices and habits. Because we think that if we are engaged in these simple habits, then we learn to listen to God. And as we learn to listen to God, then God tells us where to shine. And that shining might be in a Sunday school class. It might be in a small group. It might be in the food pantry. It might be at your work. It might be with your neighborhood. It might be at school in your classroom. Your light's going to shine wherever you go. But where is God calling you to light your light? And we've been encouraging people every week to grab one of those things. Just pick one and engage in that practice. And while you're engaged in that practice, then listen. And as you listen, God will speak to you. He's in charge and he calls everybody. He brings help and that help is already on the way. And he's already working through you. Now, I am always thrilled beyond words when I hear anybody taking one of the suggestions we offer in a message and runs with it. And I heard a story this week about someone who actually did that, and I've invited them to come share their story. So if you'll come up here right now, and and I'm even more thrilled when it's a young person because it makes me think this light is going to shine for a long time. And so I'm going to interview Bree right now. Well, tell us your name first. Here, you put that right up there. You hold it. Brianne Van Genderen. And uh, how old are you and what grade are you in? Twelve going into seventh grade. Okay, so you were here a couple of weeks ago and something from that little sheet captured your attention. Can you tell us what you did? I gave up Netflix, TV, and social media for 30 days. Okay, so she's given up all that. So she's braver than I am. What I did for my deal was I added some scripture reading in my deal. I wouldn't give up my electronics, but good job on that. Tell us what happened right after you gave up on your stuff. My dad ordered pizza, and we were going to watch a movie in the living room. <laughs> had you told your dad what you had done at, at this point yet? or? I 
think I might have. Okay, all right. Okay, Dad, we're going to have to have a talk about that. <laughs> okay, so then what did you do? So the family's going to watch a movie, and you've just said you're not going to watch anything, right? I sat in the dining room and read a book. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened now since you've been spending some time? What have you been doing with that time, or what, what have, what's happened since you made this decision? I've read my Bible, and I've read a book called Sun Stand Still by Stephen Furtick. Okay, that, that's a kind of an amazing book, that Sun Stand Still. Is there anything from that that you feel like a message that's been um, coming through to you? or? Well, he talked a lot about how Moses saw a burning bush and that maybe we could see a burning bush. So I've been looking for something big God has called me to do. But as I've been listening, I think God just wants me to be like, school's coming up, so maybe in the hallway smile at someone who's not having a good day or something. It's not big, but it's something. Okay. And it doesn't have to be big, does it? I mean, it's, and so this geeks me out, you all know that, because this is like a light, and I don't know what size light this is going to be pushing back against the darkness, but I'm, I'm really um, amazed by that. So any thoughts about what this might mean going forward long term? Have you thought about what happens like after 30 days or anything else that you feel like God might be saying to you about this? I still think I'm going to read my Bible after 30 days, just be like... I don't know. Okay. I just appreciate your willingness to share with us. And let's give uh, Bree some encouragement for listening. Well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I've got some individuals out there who are going to help me out with some little paper squares. And go ahead and pass those around. So we'd like everybody who's here to get one of these little, it's a blank sheet of paper. And what we've got out here in the gathering space is we've got this um, kind of can you hear me now structure. And it's split into two halves. The top half of this structure is, what thing are you doing to listen? Okay? And you might have picked one off of that sheet that's in the bulletin. You might have said, I'm going to turn off my electronics. I'm going to talk with my friend or my spouse. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to go to a class. I'm going to sign up. There's a whole bunch of options on there. Which one did you pick? And then the bottom half of that is, what have you heard? Since you've been engaging in this practice or this habit, has God said anything to you? And we're just curious, and if you're willing to share, what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to write down one or both of those items. What you are doing to listen, what practice you're taking on, or what you heard God say to you. Because we believe that God is already acting, He's already busy at work, and He's working right where we're at, and I'm absolutely convinced that means he's working with each one of us, which means we are all like a point of light that is pushing back the darkness. And we know because God promised that darkness cannot win when that happens. So I'd like to invite you to jot that down on your little piece of paper. There's pins out there on a table right next to that. If you're willing to share it with us, pin it right to that board and then encourage the rest of us by sharing a little bit of your story. And... Um, and thank you.